the Pinnacle Mindset Show. I'm your host tonight. Uh, my name is Sophie Dodd. Uh, you'll have heard me a few times on the podcast before. And tonight I am joined by Ben Thorpe. Hi, Ben. How are you? Hey, Sophie. I'm good. You? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Would you like to tell the people a little bit about yourself? Yes. Well, my name's Ben, as you said. I am originally from Australia. Grew up in a sporting family. Uh, my cousin is Ian Thorpe, the swimmer, who has won Olympic medals for Australia. But um, unfortunately, I didn't inherit that gene. Um, I played cricket. I um, played semi-professionally here in the UK, in, in Huddersfield and down in Nottinghamshire. Um, and yeah, um, just absolutely loved sport as a kid. And it's one of the things that um, I think... You could almost say that it was like defining. I just used to think that that was what defined who you were as a person. Yeah, that's that's so interesting. Um, so what what drew you to cricket? Well, my dad um, was a cricketer. My granddad played cricket, and he was like we were ever since I was can remember any sport that I played involved a bat and a ball. So, um, and I just seemed to be quite good at it. I used to play a little bit of tennis and squash and stuff, but I was always interested in playing cricket. So what was the biggest um, achievement that you had in your sporting career? I suppose when I played down in, um, in Huddersfield, I got to play against some international cricketers. So um, some people who probably don't play cricket now, but Ryan Sidebottom, I played against, um, he played for England. I played against Darren Goff, who played for England. Uh, Chetan Sharma, who played for India. So um, I played a few games where the overseas professional was someone who played for their country. And I happened to be the overseas professional for the team that I played for. So it was really good to be able to mix and see how good you were up against some of the world's best. What, um, what actually drew you to the UK from Australia? Um, to play professionally. Um, in Australia, there are so many cricketers and there are like so many people like at a, probably at a level that are good enough to play uh, a professional style of cricket. But in Australia, you've got to go to that extra level. Whereas here in, in Britain, especially in England, um, you just have to be very good so you don't have to be a superstar but you can actually earn a, earn a bit of a living i worked as well but you could earn a living from playing and because in australia wickets are a lot harder so when you come over here the wickets are softer and you learn that when because i was a bowler who could bat a bit so i learned that the the harder the ball hit the wicket the more you could do with it so um it was really really good to be able to see the stuff that when you play in Australia, it was like playing on concrete sometimes. Mm. It was like playing on carpet here. So it was really, really good. So was it a bit of a challenge to move over here or did you just embrace it? Yeah, I embraced it. I was 21. So yeah. um, it was just a, it was a lifestyle that um, you just thought, you know, as a kid, like Australia, you have a rite of passage where you go to England. Um, so for me, it was just like a, a dream come true. That's amazing. So what would you say was the biggest challenge of your cricketing career? I suppose the challenge of being the number one person in the team. So realistically, a lot was expected of you. Um, if you failed with the bat or with the ball, 
your team could lose. So that was a big thing. Um, you had other players, don't get me wrong, who filled in the team and who were, who were good cricketers, but you were expected that you would perform? Yeah. Yeah, that, I, that expectation must be really, really tra- challenging. And also I think you put your own expectation on yourself as well. Um, that in some ways is probably really, really difficult. Um, Especially if you're going through a, a lean patch and um, you say you've, you've, you haven't performed to the best of your ability for like the last three games. You, the added pressure is that you know that they're waiting for you to do well and you're willing yourself, come on, I need to, you're saying to yourself, I need to do better. I need to, I need to do something this game. Yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously that was when you were 20, 21. Um, yeah. You're not 21 anymore. Um, no. So what has changed between cricketing you and you now as a dad um, kind of thing? Well, I was 21 when I first came to England and I'd been playing cricket since I was about nine. I played two years in under nines because I was too young to go up. Um, I think I got to the age of 26, 27 and just realised, you know what, I'd given up everything to, to chase this dream and I, I knew that I was never going to play at the highest level, but I was enjoying what I was doing. But I always felt like that my life was a little bit empty for the fact is I didn't, I didn't have, I don't know, I was just, I felt like I was, I was missing something in life. And so realistically, I grew up in a, in a Christian family. And what happened was um, while I was here playing cricket, I just felt like, you know what, um, I realized my life was empty. So I was like, you know, I'm, I went back to church. I found my uh, calling, I suppose, and was like, you know what, I need to go back home and start to just put down some roots. Mm-hmm. Was it hard just packing up and leaving the cricketing way behind or did you just embrace it? It was, I remember when I came to the decision, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go forward in any way, shape or form here and I need to put myself in, in get my, my own self right. Um, so I just decided, you know what, I've, I've got to go and do it. And I spoke to the captain of the team and said, look, this is where I'm at. I've got to go. I'm, I've got to finish. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to finish the season and fair play to him. He understood that, you know what, people have to deal with stuff and they do stuff. And he said, look, yep, you get yourself, do what you've got to do. And so I just went home and embraced it and I haven't played since. Wow. So, um, I think that a lot of athletes really struggle with, like retiring um did you ever find that or was it just a natural progression for you i think it's it is hard if if you don't have something that you think you want to go to because sometimes retirement can happen when you get injured and you don't want to retire and you've you're forced to and then there is no plan in like of of what to do going forward I think if you get to a certain age, you're able to go, you know what, I'm, I know that I've only got a certain amount of years left. I start, you start to look for uh, opportunities outside of sport that may be even still connected with sport or in the, in the business world or whatever. But it, it, it is hard when you have to stop a, uh, because of an injury or um, because of a, something that happens, which makes it, that makes it very difficult, I think. Mm-hmm, definitely but for me but for me I had something that I wanted to do so uh-huh. um I just embraced what it was yeah that's amazing um and it probably saved you a lot of pain as well um the fact that you had a natural progression um in 
obviously jumping forward to now, you're doing a lot of work with sports chaplaincy and stuff. Would you like to just talk a little bit, maybe explain a little bit about what that is? Yeah, look, sports chaplaincy, like most people think of a chaplain as the guy from MASH or somebody in a, like a, a dog's collar with a, or even like a little cross thing. It's, it's far from that. It's basically offering support to athletes as well as the coaches. So it's not just athlete based because coaches have to deal with a lot of stuff as well. They have normally the first point of call when people have got an issue, whether it be in their home life, uni life, work life, whatever it is, the, the, the coach can pick up on those things because they see performance levels drop. And so what I thought and saw was that there's a great opportunity to be involved in helping speak, um, people through stuff. So whether that be a mental health issue, whether that be a breakup, whether that be, you know, just studying because um, they couldn't pay the rent because they lost their job, gave somebody somebody to come and talk to. And it, what it does is that a chaplain isn't, part of the selection process. So if someone was injured and they didn't want the coach to know, but they're like, you know what, I'm really struggling. It gives them somebody to come and talk to. And then through coming to talk to me, I can actually say to them, look, this is something you probably should talk to the coach about. And I'm happy to come with you so that you're not having to do it on your own. Because I said, he'll, he or she will be a lot happier in the long run that you've told them in advance because it, one, it can start your rehabilitation process quicker, or it can be looked at and seen, you know what, how do we, how do we manage an injury or how do we manage a, uh, an issue? And sometimes clubs have been really helpful and where people have needed some help through, whether it be through mental health or whatever, they've been in supplied and said, you know what, you've got to go and get yourself um, you know, in the right, in the right sense, healthy. Yeah. Um, is that a role that you just kind of made or do you think that there's a lot more people who do sports chaplains? Um, yeah, there is this sports chaplaincy UK. So um, across England, there is a lot of sports chaplains up here in Scotland. There's a lot in football, but not as many as you go into other sports. Mm -hmm. um, and it's offering pastoral support. Like a lot of schools will have someone who is for pastoral support. And that's exactly the same as what is yeah. a sports chaplain that we offer. So what would you be your recommendation to any maybe coaches, volunteers listening right now? to get someone on board. Yeah, look, I think it's I think it's an ad, added string to the bow. Whether they call them a chaplain or a mental health officer or somebody, but somebody who actually isn't connected with the team selection but can be connected with the club, it doesn't that it doesn't matter, but it's actually giving people somebody to come and talk to that's not related to will this will affect my team performance this will affect my selection yeah. because injuries is a, is a really big thing as well so a lot of people will be injured and then the coach knows that they're working through rehabilitation but the coach has got to deal with what's happening in front of them right now so they've got to prepare players to play yeah. so they know in four weeks that somebody's going to come back in so they still manage what's happening in front of them but the player sometimes doesn't get to see that because the coach is so focused and doing stuff that they need to get this sorted so it gives an opportunity for that person who may be injured to have somebody in the gym with them to talk with them just to as they're going through rehab saying you know what look this is really good you look like you're on track or and it gives them somebody to talk to because when they start getting ready to come back to play they will see people in their position 
-hmm. And if someone who's been playing in their position is playing really well, that means that they might spend time on the bench or they mightn't be able to get a slot in the game. And it then can affect not only the, like their physical, but their mental health. And having somebody there who can talk with them and help them, I think is an absolute um, must. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I totally agree with you. So you obviously have a passion for um, helping people with their, like anything that they're struggling with and sport. Um, but where does that passion come from about helping athletes? Well, I used to be one, so I understand the um, the the ins and outs of like having to perform. Uh, even if we're just playing at a at a lower level, it doesn't matter. All all sports people want to perform well, and they want to play. And even if you're like playing a Sunday league game, it doesn't matter. We all want to play, and it just gives you an opportunity to to play. But then there's things happen in life where you just need to you need someone to talk to. Like you only have to see just in this COVID era, yeah. the mental health stresses on people and even people who don't play any sport, mental health is a huge, a huge stress on people. Definitely. And it, and it, it, it then goes on to affect your physical health. And this is, this is one of the things, my passion is that to, to see people who are struggling with their mental health, that they have people that they can come and speak to. And if it's something that needs more, you're able to direct them and help them get to a place where they can, get the professional help if they needed it where do you think the um onus comes for that support to come from do you think it comes from the club or do you think it should come from somewhere higher well the hardest thing is actually for a player to come forward and say they're struggling with Definitely. a form of say mental health that's the hardest part because in a guy's world, you don't want to be seen as not being macho and all of that type of stuff. So to admit that you've got a problem is quite big. And whether that be mental health, whether that be they're struggling with the relationship or uh, university work or, or just work in general. So I think there's a little bit of an onus on the player or the, or the coach or the person to say, you know what, I need to find somebody who I can share this with. And I think that the club, realistically, we have... All clubs have those um, offices so you can check out working with children checks and stuff like that. So we, 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 we do all that type of stuff, but then we have people who probably need somebody to come and talk to. And I think a club could put on, whether it be like a welfare officer or a mental health person that enables them to have somebody that somebody can come and talk to. Definitely, I totally agree. Um, in terms of that support for athletes, do you think that there's enough of that or do you think that there still needs to be more? I think we're getting there. Uh, we're not there yet. Um, I think that there does need to be a bit more, maybe a little bit more education as well, not just with board members and stuff, but even with players to say, you know what, when things aren't right, you need to come forward. Like we had that mental health awareness day, I think it was yep. at the beginning of the week. Yeah. But I think, a day probably isn't really, it, it's good, looks good with a ribbon and all that type of stuff, but it then is forgotten. And I think we probably need to educate clubs and players, coaches, that this is an ongoing thing and that there is, there is a space, a quiet place where you can actually take time to come and see somebody and talk. Sometimes it's just a conversation. It's all is, is, is needed. Yeah. Um, I feel like, there's a lot more 
um, moving in the direction for athletes. What do you think is moving in the direction for people who are in like a leadership role, like coaches or volunteers or team managers? Do you think that there's enough support there for them? Or do you think that it definitely um, is more lacking than athletes? Well, I think coaches could really do with, say, the um, the mental health first aid course. I think that would be a really good starting point for coaches to just... Um, it's a two-day course. It's something that... Uh, you could do through the NHS. I know it's a, it's, it has a cost attached to it, but it is something that gives them an opportunity and you can get it tailored. So it doesn't have to be a two day course with the certificate. You can actually have someone come and tailor it. And so you can actually, if you're in a rugby setting or a athletic setting, you can have it tailored so that people can, can learn a little bit more about stuff that involves the mental health side of things involves all of the things that people are thinking. And I think it'd be a great tool to have in the, in a coach's kit bag to say, you know what? Um, yep. I understand what you're talking after training or before training or whatever, let's meet up. And that's where you have your, your, your club chaplain or your welfare person who can actually then say, you know what, with in conjunction with the coach, they can actually go and help this person yeah. or the coach could actually say, you know what? I saw John at training today and he didn't, he just didn't look like himself. Do you mind having a word with him just to see what's happening? And like they can spot things, which cause they're with the players a lot more and they see things. So that gives them an opportunity through their, through training and go, Oh yeah, I saw that, that, that's, that, that, that didn't seem right. So it enables them to speak to somebody to say, you know what, go and check on what's happening there because there might be something and it might be nothing. Do you think that more people are maybe less likely to get a sports chaplain involved because they they have that mis like lacking perception of what faith is? I think from the start, yes, because again, it's that whole "what is this? I'm not religious. I don't want to know about it." And if you look at it from the outside, it, it, it that's what it can seem like. But the thing about the chaplain is it, they're just part of the club. So for myself, I'm, I'm at a rugby club and what I do is I go to training. I, I do all the stuff. I don't actually run any balls or get tackled because I'd just be like chocolate and melt. So, but what I do is so that they, the players and the coaches see who I am so that they know that I'm there to help people. So with it's, even if I'm there collecting the balls or I'm wiping stuff down or I'm pulling the tackling bags out so they can use them. Yeah. The players know that I'm a person there who actually has their interests at heart. Mm. It takes time, but it's about building a relationship. Yeah, definitely. And I think that it's quite important because um, from first glance, it's not about faith. It's just about having someone there to talk to really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So I think that, anybody who's listening who's maybe less inclined to get a sports chaplain involved because of that perception of it being a faith thing I think that that probably would be broken from that sense because it's such a wide thing really yeah it's exactly they're like a sports chaplain caters to all faiths and none. Like it's not, it's just about this. It's about that. It's, it's about people mm-hmm. and it's about helping people be the best that they can be. And sometimes the best of what somebody expects isn't the best that they, that they're producing because they've got A, B and C that isn't connecting in their lives. 
And what we see is that when people have a, a happier life outside of sport, they tend to perform better. Mm. And the thing is, it's about helping athletes, whether they be paid athletes or people who are just people who play on a Saturday and train twice a week. It's about helping them be the best that they can be because we all have problems. Let's face it. Yeah. There's things that go on in life that you just, you need someone to talk to. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that let's link back to the whole faith thing? Um, Cause obviously, I mean, at the heart of sports chaplaincy, you, you are a Christian. Um, mm. Do you think that Christianity and sport can coincide? A hundred percent. Like there is nothing, nothing saying that it's wrong either. I think that if it's a talent, we all have a talent that's given us from God and we use it. It's just that some people are very good at sport and other people are good at doing other things. hundred percent. It is a great opportunity to use the talents that we, that have been given us. Definitely. I 100% agree with you. Um, so my last question, I ask this to everybody I have on, um, if you could have, I mean, you can't have a dinner party at the moment, but if you could have a virtual dinner party, what three people would you invite and why? You can have them from any, they don't have to be still alive. They can be anybody. That's a pretty, pretty good question. Um, <laughs> I don't know, really. I think I'd have, I'd, I'd take my nan because she was always the wealth of, of, of knowledge and she was always somebody who I, and I knew, to, and she can cook. So that <laughs> I guarantee that the dinner party would be super. Um, I'd probably take a, a famous sporting person, someone maybe, I, I think I'd like to talk, have Steve Waugh who played cricket and he was the captain of Australian cricket team. Mm-hmm. Um, just to, just to hear some of the stories about how, they stayed on top for as long as they did. And I don't know, the third person. I think I'd like to see somebody, maybe even someone who has impacted the world, not even in the sporting sense, but I don't know, someone who, is, who I think has done a really good job or someone like, the, like John Wesley. Uh-huh. He was like the father of Methodism, but reading like the stories about when he was here on earth, like the, about how he would just go to places and just, just tell people exactly what they need. And then he was, he was probably at the forefront of like this mental health side of things. Like the people used to come and tell him stuff and he was able to help them find the stuff that they were looking for. Yeah, definitely. They're three really good people. Um, I do actually have one more question. I know I said that was the last question, but I lied. Um, do you see a difference? Because obviously you played professional cricket um, a while ago. Um, do you see a difference between now and then in terms of mental health? Oh, definitely, hundred percent. Like growing up, it was it was it was not her, like in my in my day it wasn't spoken about you were come on man up come on suck it up you just got to keep going there's no there was no like support structure like people would say stuff to people but there was no chalk and cheese what it's like now uh-huh. it's Definitely. so much better now so much better i could only mention um i think it was a, a guy that plays for england um i don't remember his first name first name but his surname's um trot 
Uh-huh. And he, he was out in Australia touring with the Ashes. And I think he had uh, some type of mental breakdown. And um, so the, the English cricket team got around him, the support staff, and they actually, actually helped him get through a difficult time in his life. Do you think there's Whereas, a difference between team and individual sports then? Well, individual, you've got to be a lot more motivated, I think, to actually seek stuff because being an individual, it's, you are, you're racing against yourself in your own times. Whereas, don't get me wrong, you, play, you, you have got competitors and you've got friends, but you train and do stuff. Whereas in a team, you have your own stuff that you work on, but then you actually have a team environment. So you have got support structures in place. You train with, whether it be 13, 11, 15, doesn't matter. You're always with people when you're training. Whereas yeah. I think when you're on your own, you may have, you may have a coach or you may have a, someone in the gym, but it's you that's it's motivating yourself. Definitely. Well, it's been incredible to speak to you tonight, Ben. Thank you so much for coming on the show. As ever, uh, please be sure to like this uh, podcast and feel free to check out any other um, episodes. We have so many. We've passed 10 now. And also be sure to share it with uh, at least one person. Um, But thank you so much for listening, guys, and have an amazing week.